You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 80 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host or your temporary host, Alex Hobson, here with my colleague, Peter Barracchini. Unfortunately, we're missing our third voice once again this week. Andrew Forbes is taking some time off, but he will be back before you can say sticks in the six, which you can, I'm assuming, say that pretty quickly. So <laughs> take that as he'll be back for next week. Um, so before we get started into our uh, lease chatter for today, Peter, how's it going? Uh, going good. Um, you know, I said, and I mean, when Andrew said it, he wasn't able to make it. I promised a little shout out to this little one, Oakley, big shout out. Hope everything is okay with him. Um, don't want to get into too many or too much specifics, but yeah, you know, little ones with us. Um, hopefully that everything is all good. And yeah, my, my, my week has been fine. Um, got some, got some news to, uh, say, um, well, it's not really big, but you know, it's big for me. Um, I see in the background, you got your, you know, nice little next gen game Jersey. Yes, sir. After weeks and weeks of searching, I finally got a next gen Jersey. Hey, there so, we go. There we go. I, I, I joined the next gen club, no name, but you know, it is. Do you, do you plan to nice. get a name eventually? Uh, Maybe, maybe not. I think I'm just going to keep that one for myself. Keep it special. If I do, probably Matthew Nyes. Um, who knows? <laughs> Next gen jersey with Matthew Nyes on the back. I think Ooh. you'd be the first to own one of those. I think ahead. I'm different. All right. Well, um, I don't have too too much to talk about uh, based on my life, my personal life in the past couple of weeks. I do want to make a point to mention the amount of shows that I've been going to see and continue to see. So obviously last episode talked about how I was going to see Billy talent and rise against and yes. ended up being a great show. Um, went to see Royal blood on Monday, which was also a great show. Those two, those two guys, man, they, they they've got a sound that's heavier than sounds like it should be a lot heavier than something that yeah. two guys can come up with. So it would, uh, I was just about to say, you wouldn't expect them to have that kind of a sound and that type of intensity with just two people. No, that is, that not. is insane how they're able to do that. I find that a lot of two piece, two piece bands are like that too. Like I, the, I'm, I won't use the white stripes as an example. They're, yeah, they're, they're, the OGs, they're not, but, they're not as heavy, but no, but there are some, there are some songs by the black keys, for example, where it's like, man, like where, where, where do you get this, this volume, mm. and this depth from? Yeah. True a couple, that. a couple. Um, anyways. So yeah, I saw Royal blood this week. I'm going to see big wreck tonight. So that's going to be another Ooh. great show. Haven't seen Ian Thornley live before, but I heard that he is just an absolute freak of nature, which he, he seems to be based on the live videos I've watched on YouTube. So hopefully that, that ends up being a good show as well. I, the f- one comparison I get to Ian Thornley, every single time I hear him, I just go back to Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. Yep. Yeah. We there we go. Same. Yeah. Dude, like they sound the, the same, same tone. They, they sound the same. And I, honestly, I almost think they look the same too. Yeah. I think Ian Thornley looks a little bit like Chris Cornell as well. I like, I, I remember hearing something actually about how um, Thornley, I, I guess, I guess this was back when uh, Chris Cornell was off with audio sleeve. Ian Thornley was asked about replacing Chris Cornell for a Soundgarden tour or something like that. And oh, he said, would... he said no, because he didn't, he couldn't play guitar. Like they only wanted his vocals. And he's like, I can't see myself singing if I'm not holding a guitar in my hands. So that, that makes sense because he is a guitarist before he's a vocalist, yeah. in my opinion. But either way, like he's unreal voice, unreal guitar player. I can't wait to see him live. That probably would have been like early thousands, like 2003 yeah. and four. And I still probably would have been really young to go to shows. But man, if I were like 18, 19 at that time, that would have been a kick-ass show to see in Thornley with Audio Slave taking over Chris Cornell. That, that just would have been absolutely terrific. Yeah, 100%. All right, so we might as well get into the content for today's show. Lots and lots to talk about, as always, but we are going to start with a little bit of a somber note here. Um, New York Islanders legend Mike Bossy passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's touted as one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. Uh, me being 22 years old, I never got the chance to watch him live. And I, 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 I don't think there's that much of a gap between us, Peter. I don't think you would have gotten a chance to see him um, 
even towards the tail end of his career, but you are a little bit older than me and probably, uh, probably have a little bit more to say on the topic. So uh, any, anything to say about Mike Bossy? Um, I mean, obviously staple during that Islanders dynasty in the eighties. Right. Um, yeah. Way past my time. Um, he, he, like he played before I was born, but at the same time, you know, you, even growing up as a kid, you always heard of legends like Mike Bossy and even my dad, he has like a wall of like, you know, hockey cards and you see Mike Bossy on there. And it's just like, you always go to him and you think of him as well as many other players during that time. And yeah, like you said, he, uh, one of the best pure goal scorers of the NHL. And it's just like, man, I mean, it, it just really is difficult to hear this. And this is after, you know, Clark Gillies died as well. And also Gene Pop then, um, so, you know, they, that whole organization has been hit hard the last few months, but at the same time, I mean, I never got to watch them. Good thing that there are highlights online. You get to see them in this day and age. Um, yeah, re- really tough, really difficult. And, and you know, despite the fact, like it, it was lung cancer too. So, you know, you know, obviously I'm going to say fuck cancer because, you know, I, I, I know somebody that passed away as a result of cancer as well. So you know, hearing that it's tough, but at the same time, you know, he had a great legacy and a great lasting impression on the game. And, you know, again, condolences to his family, the friends, teammates, and even the whole organization and fans of the Islanders, you know, that's all you can really say at this point. It's just really difficult to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You never want to hear about a, about a legend passing away like this, obviously. And you are right. It has been a very tough year for the, the Islanders organization first with the loss of Clark Gillies and now Mike Bossy. Um, definitely extend our condolences on behalf of sticks in the six. Um, hopefully the Islanders can finish their season strong uh, in, in, in his memory and bounce back even stronger next season uh, for those two. Um, so moving on to some leaf stuff. Uh, I guess this is, I don't really know if this is an appropriate segue based on what we just talked about, but last Leafs game, obviously Sunday night Leafs set a record or not the last Leafs game. I'm sorry. They played Philadelphia last night, but two nights ago, they set a record for the most wins and points in a season with their win over the New York Islanders. Um, (laughs) It's funny. Kind of a bad segue, but you know what? It's, it it was history in the making for the Leafs, and, and you know what they did. I, I'm just going to keep it in line as well. They did have a really great tribute for Mike Bossy as well. So you know, they obviously, did. every other team is doing that considering he's a legend. So, yeah, uh, I mean, tough outcome for the Islanders because you, you would you would expect that they wanted to probably win it and go on a really massive tear based on actually they were playing really great hockey before then. So you what you would expect them to finish strong, and you know they had a really great game too. So. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It's funny because <laughs> every time we get around this time of year, we always sit here and we end up having this conversation of, of, you know, are the Leafs ready to make a run this year? Is this the year they finally break their first round curse? Um, and every year it seems like there's reasons that, they, that this might finally be the year. Obviously last year, the big reason was that, Hey, you know, the Leafs are playing in the North division. They've had their way with pretty much every opponent in their division. They're going up against the New York, going up against the Montreal Canadians in the first round, a team that had a losing record. And then who they have to face in the second round, one of the Winnipeg Jets or the Edmonton Oilers, both teams who they had great success against that year. And it's just like ever like last year, you know, you think, that's the year the Leafs have all those things going for them. And then obviously it ended the way it did. So I don't want to sit here and say, is it encouraging that the Leafs set a record for the most wins and points in a season based on what they did against the Islanders on Sunday, but Peter, I might as well get your take on it right now. What is, what is setting that record? And um, I guess the individual accomplishments for the players, but also for the team, what does that say about their chances heading into the playoffs? I'm going to go. I mean, obviously everyone was talking about this and he was even reported um, during the game or a post game, or even like comments that Keith made, he goes back to the game against the four and one loss to the Carolina hurricanes. And this is before the uh, overtime win against the Chicago Blackhawks. And at that point, the Maple Leafs were struggling big time. Um, you know, Matthews came back. He, he scored a goal in that game, but then again, the, the least defense and everything just wasn't clicking. Ever and and you know what I, I give props to Keith for making the statement and even the team trying to rally together and try and get things going even in the 
game against Chicago, where I think it was Wayne Simmons and Matthews were showing, you know, their vocal presence on the team. This mentality is different. And the fact that they were able to set a record in a season where there were many, many highs and also some lows because the Maple Leafs have been dealt a lot of injuries to their defense, kind of like last season. Um, I mean, I, I really don't know what to say. They, they were able to put out all these points and all these wins against teams that they're right there in the fight with for the Stanley Cup or trying to make a long run. And then you have games against Arizona, Buffalo, Montreal, where those are easy points. And you would think that maybe that they would have hit that record or mark earlier if they would have won those games. But at the same time, it just shows this mentality. Everyone is going to say, oh, you know, you showed in the playoffs. You know, you got to show it in the playoffs. Haven't shown it previously. I think we're going to see a different team in the playoffs. This mentality, you see the way that they interact on and off the ice. It's a different feel. And, and I know you're probably going to go back to the whole Joe Thornton thing uh, where he's just like, you know, it's okay. We got this. We got this. I think this team does have it, but I think they're keeping everything in check and they know what's on the line and the players know it. He said it at post trade deadline that they control their destiny and their fate. They're going to do it. And I think that they are for real this time. I, I think that this record, it doesn't mean much. I mean, it means a lot, but at the same time, they know what's at stake here. They know this isn't enough. They want more. They're hungry. This is just the beginning for them. And I think this is going to set the stage for them in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely right with you when you say that there are things that are encouraging towards the playoff stretch um, in terms of the, the, the success that they've had. And, you know, I read a story the other day, or I, it, it wasn't really much of a story, actually. It was a Reddit thread, but they cited an appearance on Overdrive that Bob McKenzie made. And I'm so I'm truthfully mm. surprised that this story didn't get covered yeah. more because yeah. you'd think that fans who are sick of seeing the Leafs choke every single year would have read this and been up in arms over it. But so I'm going to I'm going to be writing an article a little later this week that sort of sort of highlights this a little bit. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but basically what Bob McKenzie's overdrive appearance was about was he, he sort of joined and said that apparently when the Leafs were losing these games to Buffalo, Arizona, et cetera, et cetera, apparently Leafs management kind of got up in the core players grill and said, listen, like these are points that you guys should be taking every time we come out and play yeah. Buffalo or Arizona or Montreal, you guys shit the bed. Like what gives? And apparently the core players pushed back a little bit and I don't know what exactly they said. And I don't think Bob McKenzie knew exactly what they said either, but I think it was to the effect of, and I'm probably paraphrasing here, but it was to the effect of, listen, like we know what we have to do to win. Just don't worry about it. We got this. And on one hand, and he did specify that in saying that they were talking about the regular season. So not saying like, we've got yeah. this, we're going to win the first round in the playoffs. Like they're not making any claims like that right now. But I guess there's one of there's one of a couple ways that you can take that. You can take it in the sense that, you know, Leafs, if you really hate the Leafs or you hate their core players and you kind of you're a baghead fan, you want to see them fail, you can probably take it in the sense of, oh, these are entitled pricks who aren't gonna listen to their they're they're not gonna listen to their GM and you know, they they they're so cocky for no reason, etc. Personally, the way I took it was that the Leafs are tired of hearing about how much they can't play against teams that are lower than them and how they're not going to be able to carry that kind of play into the playoffs because they're going to have to face off against the big three-headed monster of one of Tampa, Boston, or Florida. Um, I personally liked hearing about that. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I liked hearing that, you know, these core players are pushing back and they're saying, listen, like, don't worry about it. We got this. And in my opinion, very, very bold claim to make given the circumstances and the stakes around this team right now. But man, what a power move that'll be if they do somehow get out of the first round this year. And I know that's obviously a, that's a big if, and we, we, we've discussed a million times in the past about how big of an if that is. But I don't know, Peter, upon hearing about that, what do you make of the Leafs sort of, the Leafs core players sort of like pushing back? And especially now that it's been a couple of weeks since that broke and you, you've seen that they've been able to mm -hmm. get these points against teams that they're fighting for a playoff spot or for, for seeding, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the more, I mean, the more point, like, let's face it, if they would have won like at least four of those five or six games that would have cemented home ice advantage for them. Um, I mean, I, I, any, any, any type of, any type of a win somehow 
just win and you, they brought, they probably would have had the second spot already locked up, but it's still up in the air though. They're still winning. Um, you know, got to deal with Tampa Bay next. I think that's going to be a really big, uh, this is probably going to be the make or break game for them. They proved that they could beat them massively last time. I think Tampa Bay is running out of steam. I, I think that maybe they try to go all in with Brandon Hagel. I think that was a massive overpayment and you're not getting the same results from Brandon Hagel as the Maple Leafs are with Mark Giordano, who I believe the Maple Leafs are 11, one and two or 11, two and one since they acquired him. I, I got to bring up Jonas Siegel's tweet. Uh, because I did like it. I just got to make sure. I want to make sure. 12-2-1 with Mark Giordano in the lineup. Um, granted, I'm pretty sure Tampa Bay has a, a, still a pretty decent record, but you know, you're know you not getting the same results with Hagel as you are with the Maple Leafs with Giordano at this time. But I'm going to go back to when Justin Hall said, you know, we play down to our opponents. And that to me is worse than them. Not, not worse. I think playing down to your opponents is just the absolute worst thing that you can do. And the fact that they were doing that and they still managed to do that later on shows that you can't take any team for granted. And I'm pretty sure they know that, but I'm pretty sure that they said that the fact that they said that, don't worry, we got this. I think they're just, I would like to hope that they're saving their best for the best. And we saw that when they went, you know, uh, Tampa Bay and Florida, Boston, uh, Washington Capitals. There was that game against the Florida Panthers where, yeah, they got the lead, lost it, and they fought their way back. Great. I, 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 I hope. I, I just want to say, I hope they know what they're doing because if they lose in the first round and then they go back to that, saying that, don't worry, we got this after that pushback with management, something's going to happen. And let's just hope that I, I, I'm optimistic. I hope they power through because this team can get through the first round. They've shown it. And I just hope that it doesn't come back to bite them. Just like the Joe Thornton's comments previously before. And I, it's tough because I want to try and word this properly. And I think I already did, but just don't take, you shouldn't play down to your opponent. Like that's the worst thing you could do. You want to be at the top of your game. You want them to play up to you. If Toronto, I, I, it still bothers me that Toronto can have a dominant outing against the top teams and then have a poor performance against teams that they should be dominating against. And we saw that kind of last night with the Philadelphia Flyers, how they were dominating possession in the shots and the breakouts are bad. Some of the positioning was just, you know, off. Um, I, I, again, I just hope they know what they're doing. You would hope that, but at the same time, just show the results. If you're able to win one, that's all that matters. Take one step at a time. Yeah. Um, and you know what? Going back to your point about Brandon Hagel, to this day, I'm still super happy that the Leafs didn't pay that price for him. Because oh God, no! no my no. God, what a like that's. No. I could deal know. with one first, but to give up that much and prospects for a guy yeah, that's a massive less, overpayment. Yeah, less than 100 NHL games to his date, and only what like you want to say maybe like 30 or 40 games with the kind of production he's had this year. I mean, yeah. The only thing that worries me about that is I guarantee you we'll sit here and talk about how Brandon Hagel is not worth that price and how we're glad the Leafs didn't trade for him. And then he's going to score a crucial goal for the lightning against the Leafs in the playoffs because we've been here before and that's what happens. Yep. History. Um, And also three goals in 16 games. Yeah. That's uh that, that 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 sounds like the storyline of a guy who's going to do and a lot of knows? damage against the Leafs. Well, I was just going to say, who knows? It's probably going to be one goal in seven games against the Leafs, except that one goal would be like a game seven overtime winner. So, probably. And yeah. then we'll be, <laughs> then we'll have to put up with a fucking summer's worth of articles from the Toronto media saying, "Oh, the Leafs should have paid that price for Brandon Hagel, but Kyle Dubas nah. cheaped out." It's like I still wouldn't pay that price. Yeah, neither would I. I I, I, I would have paid that Giordano price ten times out of ten than the Brandon Hagel one. Oh fuck! It's not even a question at this point. <laughs> considering considering what Giordano's done for the Leafs, especially. Uh, especially. Mm-hmm. So while we're on the topic of this, you know the 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 way that this team is clinched, um, and not clinched, I guess, but the way that this team got the rug set the new record against the New York Islanders, we might as well head back to that game against the Islanders. Austin Matthews was held out of that game. And he was once again held out of the lineup against the Philadelphia Flyers. And by the time this episode's up, it'll be tomorrow. And this entire discussion might be moot if Matthews is back in the lineup. But since we're here and recording this on Wednesday, we are going to talk about it as as it is current. And the current status is that Matthews is apparently still nursing a super small injury. 
So Peter, I want to get your take on this because I, you know, I, I saw a tweet from a certain former columnist for the Toronto star, certain former analyst for Sportsnet who's been known to drop some pretty terrible takes online here and there guy who, you know, likes asking people for selfies. I'll leave it there. Um, he tweeted something along the, along the lines, a, t- a completely baseless claim, something along the lines of, Oh, uh, Lee fans, I know you won't want to hear this, but wouldn't be surprised if Matthews was still nursing his wrist, even though he had surgery on it over the off season. So anyways, I'm not going to point out who that is. You could probably figure it out. If you haven't, then you can yeah. probably go find the tweet, but I, I do want to get your opinion on Matthews being held out and what you think it could. I, I mean, obviously it's hard for a fan to sit here and speculate on what his possible injury could be, or the possible reason for leaving him out of the lineup could be, but I do want to get your take on, I guess, what if it's if it's something Leaf fans should be concerned about, and then also how you think the Leafs have played without Matthews? Two things. I did see that, and all I could do was just scratch my head. Um, second, um, Mark Masters obviously he wrote, he wrote a piece on you know Matthews uh, Richard pursuit is on pause. Um, Keith didn't specify whether it was an upper body or a lower body injury, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, he, he didn't say if it was upper or, or lower and you know, what's kind of funny, Luke Fox, I'm just looking at his feed right now. You know, this was posted 15 hours ago. So late last night, Austin Matthews is dealing with quote, a new injury for him, something he hasn't dealt with before per Keith. And also based on the videos that we saw of Austin Matthews sniping top corner, I don't think it's his wrist. I, I think it's fine. I think it's going to be something, maybe tweak something. Uh, I, I don't want to speculate. Yeah. A groin, pulled muscle kind of thing. I think they just, and, and again, Kiva said multiple times, even uh, I, I believe it was Terry Koshin that tweeted out that he's not concerned about it. Um, this isn't something that they're worried about. They just want to take the right steps to make sure that he's okay. And when the it broke that Austin Matthews wasn't playing yesterday. There was so much doom and gloom from the comments that it's like, what are we even doing anymore? Like, um, listen, I want Austin Matthews to play. I want him to break OB 65 goals. It's not probably not going to happen now. He's still going to hit 60. Did I want him to see him play? Absolutely. Seeing those comments and being everyone freaked out, let's just take a step back, relax, breathe. It's okay. I would rather I would rather sit Austin Matthews right now for a minor injury, making sure that he's a hundred, not even just a hundred, a hundred and twenty percent for the playoffs, than have him play right now with something minor and have it affect him in the playoffs because you know what's going to happen. We're going to find out at the end, Austin Matthews is playing with an injury. Oh, well, why the hell didn't they rest him? Resting him right now. They're taking the right steps. There's my TED talk. You know what? You pretty much ripped your TED talk right out of my mouth. I was was probably (laughs) going to say the exact same thing word for word. I love, you know what? Okay. And let me preface this by saying, I understand that everybody wants. I try to do my investigative journalism going back to like (laughs) tweets before. It's just like, okay, this is said here. This is said here. Yeah. Everyone is good. The receipts are here. Keith said (laughs) as per Terry Koshin that he's okay here. He said, he's not worried about it per Luke Fox here. Everything's good. You know, but (laughs) like for real, I love, I know that Lee fans love the idea of Matthews just absolutely blowing this goal scoring um, Mm -hmm. streak out of the water, potentially hitting 70 goals. If they didn't rest him, who knows? He possibly could have hit 70 goals this season. Um, Obviously now he's sitting just a couple shy of 60 and it's like, I understand that we want to see this guy finish 10 goals ahead of the dry sidles and uh, the Chris Criders and the other people who are in, who are in contention for this goal scoring mm-hmm. race. I understand that, but just like you said, is it worth him winning that goal scoring race? If the Leafs are going to get eliminated in the first round again, and then a week later, we're going to read an article from TSN saying, Oh, Austin Matthews was battling. So-and-so injury. Yeah. Is it mm-hmm. worth it? No, it's not no, worth it's not. it. Not even a little bit. And nope. yes, you could not be more on the money when you say rest him now, sacrifice scoring 70 goals, even sacrifice him scoring 50 goals if you or 50, 60 goals if you have to. 
if you have to sacrifice him breaking those extra milestones or breaking those records and make sure he's 110% in the playoffs because you don't want Matthews to, I, I, I don't know if you remember, but there was a very clear stretch of games before last year's playoffs and also just sporadically throughout last season. And even a little bit at the start of this season, when watching him play, you could just tell that his wrist was not where it should have been. Yeah. And it was super, it was super easy to tell because he wasn't taking the shots that he normally would, you know, he'd be wide open at the top of the circle for a one-timer. He'd receive the pass and then he'd send it right back. And it was just Mm -hmm. like, it was so frustrating to watch because you know what Austin Matthews is capable of. And it's just like, man, just fire the puck. Come on, do what you do, what we know you can do. So you know what he looks like when he's not on his game. So if you know what he looks like when you're, when he's not on his game, then ask yourself this, do you want to see that version of Matthews in the playoffs this year? Or do you want to see the version of Austin Matthews that we've had for the better part of the 2022 season? There is only one right answer. Exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and obviously, I don't think there will be a single Leaf fan that will listen to all that and then sit down and say, ah, you know what? No, I still want him to break the record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that the fact that he is able to play through it is encouraging. I remember mm-hmm. seeing a key from Sheldon. To, uh, uh, oh, my God. There were I a couple comments seeing... today, too, that he, he would have been able to have played through it. They just didn't feel it was right. Exactly. And you know what? At that point, why why bother? Like, you know, Keith is mm-hmm. clearly already in a position right now with these last couple games of the season where he's looking to jumble up the lines. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So it, like at this point, it's, I would say it's pretty close to destiny that the Leafs are going to finish second in the Atlantic. I don't think they're catching Florida, but I also think, no. I don't think they're going to tank hard enough right now to fall down to third place. So right now it's really just a matter of you know, are they going to play Tampa Bay or Boston in the first round? And that's not something yeah. that they can control. So yeah, if you're, if you can rest Austin Matthews and, you know, recover, recover him to the point where he's good to go for the playoffs, then you take that chance every day of the week, 24 mm-hmm. hours a day, seven days a week, you rest him over, over letting him chase that goal record. And you know what? You don't have to like it. I don't like it. I honestly, I'd love to see him blow the 60 goal plateau out of the water and yeah. finish with like 65 goals on the season. I think mm-hmm. that'd be a huge flex, but you know, it'd be an even bigger flex winning a round. So yeah. I, I, I think when you consider <laughs> that, let Austin Matthews recover his, he's fine. Like, like you said, he can, he probably could have played through the injury. I he certainly could have played through the injury, yeah. whatever he's battling right now, but it's not worth it. Yeah. And again, going back to those videos, it definitely didn't look like his wrist. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be firing snipes and by the goaltender as quick as he was if it was a wrist problem. Yeah. I, I, I'd argue this season too, at the beginning when he was quote unquote struggling, I think it was just his timing was off a little bit. I, I, I think it was more just, you know, getting back into the rhythm of things. I know that game against the New York Rangers, he fired like 11 shot attempts mm-hmm. and obviously some hit the net, but at the same time, it just, the timing was off. The accuracy was off. And then as soon as he got it, boom, mm-hmm. you know, 51 and 50. And yes, I said it again. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it was just a matter of time before he was able to do that. Um, he would, he, he was going to come back into the scoring race. He already is. He's leading it again. I, 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 I don't understand how you can say play him right now and get the record when you know playoffs are literally a week or two away and you want everybody to be 100% healthy. And the fact that he's like going on this current road trip right now shows that he's probably going to be playing against Tampa Bay. So yeah, he is going to play. Just give him some time off, especially on the back-to-back nights. You don't want him to like strain something even more. And I I think the Philadelphia Flyers game was just a precaution as well. Yeah, and it didn't burn them in the end. They won. So yeah, we can stop. Four points out of four points. We can stop worrying about it. Um, (laughs) So moving on, William Nylander. That's another name that's kind of popped in and out of the media here. And Peter, you linked this article that I, that you want to talk about. Um, I more personally video. didn't. Yeah, I, it video. is a yeah, video. Yeah. I didn't watch the video if I'm being completely honest, but I know that this is going to segue towards a topic about William Nylander. So why don't you, why don't you start off by, I guess, just explaining the video a little bit. So obviously it just basically reads, I was pissed. Random video session helped William Nylander get back on track. And ever since the start of the second half, I think through the early part of November or not November, that's not the uh, second half, um, January, February, you could tell that the second line of, you know, John Tavares, William Nylander and Alex Kerfoot, because he was moving up and down, but 
Tavares and Nylander kind of looked off. They didn't have that same mojo going, the same chemistry, the same connectivity and production that they had in the first half. It literally, all Nylander did was just have a random video session to try and figure things out where he was getting back on track or so that he could get back on track. And lo and behold, since that video session right now, we're seeing William Nylander back on a tear where he has 32 goals right now for the season, 76 points, already set a career high in goals, career high in points, and he's looking to be the third Maple Leaf to hit the 80-point mark. My thing is this. Everyone is going to rip on Nylander for, you know, his the, that that stretch of play where it wasn't good enough. He was kind of floating around, and yeah, it, it was noticeable, but at the same time, he found a new level to his game. He was going to get out of the funk. And even Keith said that this is a player that needs to be pushed. And you're going to hear people say, well, if he's in the NHL at this age, why does he need to get pushed? You know, he, he should have that mentality going forward. You know what? Just you know, before you can before you continue here, I love the f- I love how much discourse that line creates because on one side you've got all the boomer fans that are like, oh, why does he need to be pushed? He's making almost seven million dollars a year. And then on the other hand. On the other hand, you've got the entire side of Nylander stands on Twitter that are like, why is Nylander the only one that's getting pushed? You never see Nylander yeah. get, get bitched at to the media by Sheldon Keefe. Or, sorry, you never see Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, or John Tavares take that kind of criticism. So it's like, on one hand, you've got half of the fan base that thinks he's not getting criticized enough. And then on the other half, you've got, you've got a side saying that he's being criticized too much. And it's funny because in the middle, you've got William Nylander. That's just like no thoughts, just vibes. And he's sitting yeah. there and he, he's just like, I know what I'm capable of. And I'm going to get back on track while the entirety of this fan base argues about what to do with me. Anyways, yeah. keep going. No, and no, no, the valid, valid point. And you see the stretch of games where he's gone goalless or even had just one point And it was very sporadic. And you could tell, obviously, he wasn't at his best. But whatever, obviously, you have video sessions for a reason. You go back, look at the game tape, see what went wrong, improve on it. And ever since Nylander got demoted to that third line, you're it, not to say that it served as a wake-up call, but you're seeing a player who's motivated, who's determined to drive his back. And I think maybe that was just a little push that he needed. Um, and, and, and again, you know, ever since then, the consistency has been there, the defensive play, the back checks, stickless everything and even the speed honestly that his speed the last four or five games has just been on another level like he's just been tearing it up and the fact that again you probably would have liked to see the video session happen before but you know what it takes time to try and figure out what works and what doesn't he did he whatever wasn't working wasn't working he's back to his normal self he's back to the you know kneelander that we saw with the speed the hands the shot and not only that, he had a really great goal. Well, it was the word of the David Camp, but if he did score it and if it went off his skate, that would have been the icing on the cake to say that, oh, Nylander doesn't, you know, attack the net and crash the net. But you also had a great tweet last night saying that, you know, you're with Neil, William Nylander snipe that your uncle's opinion doesn't matter anymore. So, um, <laughs> you know, what's funny, I, I, that. I actually tweeted that five days ago when he scored his 30th goal of the season. My, oh, the exact, did you? Yeah, the exact. And then I retweeted it. Because the exact tweet That's was why. okay. The exact tweet was <laughs> William Nylander is a thirty goal scorer. Your uncle's opinion is trash. There I didn't go. just say it doesn't matter That's anymore. Okay. I was a little more harsh than that. It's full on trash. <laughs> and so I decided to retweet that last night when he set a new career high in goals. Because fact of the matter is, yes, your your drunk uncle that rambles on Thanksgiving dinner that no one really wants to be at the table. Um, yeah, his opinion doesn't matter. William Nylander is a good hockey player. Um, and you know what? Just on top of that. I think I can understand why fans will get frustrated with William Nylander because I will say that when he's not on his game, he can be a pretty frustrating player to watch. Yeah. You know, he's not a, he's a great skater, but he's a very graceful skater. He's not really like a Michael Bunting, like put your head down and grind kind of skater. Like he'll, he, Mm -hmm. it can often look like he's coasting and being lazy when he's, when, when he's not really making an impact on the ice. But the thing is, is this guy loves being pushed and he loves it when, you know, I'm not going to say he loves being demoted because I'm sure he didn't like going from Tavares's wing to no. Engvall's wing. But who, okay, no, no offense. Who would like to be demoted? 
exactly. No one likes to be demoted, but at the same time, William Nylander is not sitting here. And this is for the side of Twitter that thinks that he gets treated too hard. William Nylander is not sitting here and sulking and feeling sorry for himself because his coach is being mean to him. William Nylander is like, you're right. I'm not playing great right now. I got to play better because I know I can play better. And look what yeah. putting him in that role is done for him. All of a sudden, and you know what? It's actually hilarious because just last week I wrote an article about how Ilya Mikheyev should be on the second line with John Tavares and William Nylander at the playoffs. Mm -hmm. As it stands right now, man, I honestly don't even know that I want to move Nylander off of that line. And we're going to talk about Keith going galaxy brain with the the line combinations (laughs) in a little bit. We'll get to that. But first, Peter, do you know what time it is? I think I know what time it is. I believe it's time for... uh, me to introduce our friend to the listeners here yeah do it and no our it's good not friends, a guest. our good, our good friends, friends I should over say. at Drum draft roll. kings sportsbook and casino there you go there we go draft nope i almost fucked that up DraftKings Sportsbook and Casino is coming soon to Ontario. Soon you will be able to legally bet on all of your favorite sports, ranging from UFC to hockey to playoff hoops and so much more. And that's not all. What if we told you that the hottest new casino will be available right from your phone? DraftKings has all of the latest features and promotions ranging from daily odds boosts to best in-class casino games and so much more. Soon, you'll be able to place the same game parlay, score daily odds, boosts, and play your favorite slots games anytime, anywhere in the province. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So get excited, Ontario. DraftKings Sportsbook and Casino is on the way. And while you wait, Check out DraftKings now and tell them that I sent you, or you can tell them Peter sent you, or you can tell them Forbes sent you, or you can just tell them that the boys over at Sticks in the Six sent you by using the promo code SIT6. That is promo code SIT6 for Sticks in the Six. DraftKings Sportsbook and Casino coming soon to Ontario. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-866-531-2600. 19-plus, physically present in Ontario. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Subject to successful AGCO registration and execution of an operating agreement with iGaming Ontario. DraftKings, ladies and gentlemen. DraftKings. Yes. Yes, All right. you did. You did the thing. I was. I actually. I had to say that because I. I don't know if you watch Adventure Time. I'm a big Adventure Time fan, and there's this character called Lemon Grab, who did the thing, the thing, the thing, the thing, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs. You did the thing. Boom. I did the damn thing. There we go. <laughs> All right. So while we're sort of on topic already with with William Nylander playing on the third line, Keeb's been going mad scientist with the lines. I don't think. Uh, I don't think anybody would doubt that. Now, I think some people are, I, I won't even say some people. I think most people for the most part understand why Keith is doing this because it's the last five games of the season. And okay, obviously not, obviously the Leafs are not going to go into the playoffs with the first line of Nick Abrazese, Mitch Marner and Michael Bunting. That's just not happening. But between Matthews being out with an injury and between Kasha being out for a while, I really like what the Leafs are doing with the juggling of the lines right now, because they're doing it a little bit aggressively. Like they're not just, you know, Oh, we're going to try some different pairings or combinations to see what works. Like they are literally spreading everyone around the lineup. They had, uh, if I recall correctly, they, did they not have, I think they had Michael Bunting playing on the third line a couple of games ago. I think it was against the Islanders because they had Mikheyev Tavares Marner as the first line. Yeah. And then, and then Kerfoot and Nylander were the second. With Angval. And then they had Michael Bunting with David Kampf. And uh, I think it was Abrazese. Or either him or Blackwell. It was one of those two players. Yeah. Either way, Sheldon keeps been doing a lot of, a lot of weird things with the lines lately. But I got to say, I really like it. I like it a lot. And the reason for that is because it almost feels inevitable that going into the playoffs, you're going to have somebody go down with an injury. I don't. We don't want to speculate on this because obviously, you know, you don't want, we don't want to be sit, you don't want to sit here talk about being, you know, those doom and gloom fans and, and just worrying about players who could get injured before it actually happens. But based on the way that playoff games are called and just based on the general intensity of playoff hockey, it feels like that the Leafs, they'll probably have an injury at some point. Yeah. And when time comes for an injury like that, 
I think it's very smart to have sort of a list of combinations and lines and pairings outside of the regular lineup that work that you know that you can go to instead of just having an experiment on the fly. So uh, this is a very grim example, but say Mitch Marner gets injured in game one and he's out for the rest of the series. Say don't, don't toy with us like that. Man. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not toying. I'm just saying hypothetically, if something like that were to happen, it could be Marner. It could be Nylander. It could be Tavares. We saw it happen last year with Tavares. So say Mitch Marner gets injured. All of a sudden that puts a massive wrench into your plans, your lineup plans. So I think, first of all, I really like what Keith is doing in experimenting with the lines, because in the event that something like that happens, having another line that, you know, you can go to can only benefit them because it's like, okay, you have more than one combination that, you know, works. You're not trying to experiment on the fly. You're not trying to get your players to develop chemistry on the fly with random line mates that they hadn't practiced with in a while. So I like that first and foremost, but I also will say that, and like I said, I, I it's funny because I just wrote an article about how the second line in the playoff should be Mikheyev, Tavares, and Elander. But to be completely honest with you, I think that the Leafs should almost adapt that, that HBK line that Pittsburgh did when they had Phil Kessel on their third line, when mm-hmm. everybody was talking about how much damage he was going to do alongside one of Crosby or Malkin. I'm really liking the concept of having Nylander on the third line in the playoffs. And the reason for that is this, we all know how amazing that top line is bunting Matthews Martin. That line's not changing unless there's an injury or one of those players just stops producing outright. So you got that top line. Then you've got the second line. And I think if we were to see something like John Tavares centering Mikheyev and another energy guy, like, like Colin Blackwell, or even in Andre Kasha when he comes back. Mm-hmm. John Tavares literally spent his entire career with the Islanders playing alongside guys who weren't on the same level as him. And that's no disrespect to the guys like Anders Lee or Josh Bailey or Matt Molson. Um, Matt Molson. Yeah, Matt Molson, if you want to go really far back. No disrespect to any of those guys. But, you know, it, they, none of them are like a Mitch Martin or a William Nylander type. Like they're, 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 they're players who can put up 40, 50, maybe 60 points, but. Tavares was far and away the best player on that line, but it worked for him. Tavares does not need a winger like William Nylander beside him to produce. And we've seen that in the past. And then looking at the third line, you know, we've seen how well Engvall and Nylander have done together. And it's funny because if you asked me even three months ago, if I wanted Nylander anywhere near Engvall or the other way around Engvall anywhere near Nylander, I would have been like, absolutely not. But Pierre Engvall has completely stepped up his game over the past couple of months. And he's found chemistry with Nylander and they're working together well on that line. And assuming if they stay there with Alex Kerfoot, Alex Kerfoot and Nylander also had really good chemistry in the playoffs last year. So I'm starting to think that instead of, you know, trying to fix something that ain't broke and go back to Tavares Nylander on that second line. And then, you know, you can go back to your third line of camp, Mikhail Vengval. I know that's had a lot of success in the past, but the staggered lines the Leafs have been going with for the past two weeks seem to be really working for them. So Peter, first of all, I want to get your take on what you make of Keith juggling the lines as much as he has. And then I also want to get your take on whether or not the Leafs would be better off going with their, their, their classic Matthews Marner Tavares Nylander in the playoffs, or maybe spreading out the lines like they've done recently. Um. I would argue that because he had scouts from Tampa Bay and Boston, I think maybe he purposely juggled everything up to try and throw them off. But, you know, who, who's playing conspiracy theory right there, right? Um, Not out of the realm of possibility, I guess. Try, try, try to throw them off the game a little bit. Um, I, I honestly think that I, I'm just looking at back at the lineup from the, the Islanders game. It was McKay of Tavares Marner, first line. Bunting, Camp, Blackwell, and Nylander, Kerfoot, Engvall, Abersese, Spezza, Simmons, the fourth. Jump to the game against the Flyers. Obviously, that went full on, you know, mind-blown kind of thing. Um, McKay Tavares, Blackwell, Bunting, Abersese, Marner. The one constant, Kerfoot, Nylander, Engvall. I would agree that if you want to get that balance out, you have Matthews and Marner on the top line. You can't separate them and bunting. Tavares, McCabe, and Blackwell, or Kasha, I agree. I think both guys will serve as strong 
a strong energy presence because they both got the speed, the intensity to go in and set up the four check. I think that would be a great second line. Granted, would you like to have Nylander on there? Absolutely. But I think you would only go back to your original top six that you had at the beginning or throughout the whole entire season is if you're in a dire situation, if you're down like maybe 2-1, after the first period and you need a jump, you're putting Nylander back with Tavares. You're putting Mikheyev on there or you're going to try and put an Andre Kasha or Pierre Engvall and try and switch everything up in that instant. But I think what he's doing right now, yeah, I mean, obviously it's weird because we see the same lines constantly and you, you, you know, you know, seeing all that, it's like, well, what the hell? I don't like change kind of thing but you know what this is a change that's like helping him out it's helping the team out and then if he has something that's you know even if the main combinations aren't working he has something else to fall back on like you said i think this is a really great idea or, or not a great idea it's a smart idea on his part to try and see what else he has instead of just going to the same things over and over again because we know how predictable the maple leafs can be especially when they were with their lines we saw it in the playoffs last year we saw it previously throughout the regular season at times they can be extremely predictable he's throwing in that unpredictability where he's literally putting a third line a fourth liner on the second line and bumping a second liner down to the third all this all this mashup i i think is perfect i i think it's genius i think you know again if it should anything happen he already has a game plan set. He, he doesn't need a practice. He, he could easily say, listen, you guys did this during this game. Do that. Just go back to that. Do that. And I, I again, no complaints with the line juggling because, juggling because, you know, let's face it, things change in the playoffs. You got to adapt. You can't just keep things the way they are. You got to adapt. And he's got to be able to go above and beyond and outcoach the other team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? We saw firsthand how much Keith did not outcoach the other team when sorry, not Keith did not outcoach the other team. We saw firsthand how much Babcock did not coach outcoach the other team. Yeah, keeping they went up Patrick Marlowe in the second line. And icing him out when when they, they needed a goal with however many minutes left. Yeah. Not good. No offense to Patrick Marlowe. We we loved his time in Toronto, but yeah, yeah. that's that's not it. Um yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I think preparation is key in in situations like this and you know the Leafs are obviously that we we've talked about it a million times probably going to talk about it a million more times until they either win around or they're eliminated again but we the Leafs need to do everything in their power that they can to give themselves the best odds to win around this year because mm-hmm. at, at this point I don't know I I, I really don't know what the Leafs could possibly do if they were to lose in the first round again, I don't know what they could possibly do that the media would give them the break for because, you know, there's always going to be those articles and there's always going to be that speculation of they should have done this. They should have done this. Why did they do this? They should have done this, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, the Leafs really can't, the Leafs really can't give themselves any of those reasons to, um, I, I don't really know where I was going at that point, to be honest, but they can't really, head into the playoffs not having done every single thing they possibly can and not having taken mm-hmm. every single appropriate measure to give themselves those best chances. So we'll leave it at that. Um, One more another, thing about yeah. the whole HBK thing, having William Nylander on that third line. I, I'm just looking at it like, the, I, I can't remember when he got the motor. I'm pretty sure it was at the deadline or before or after the deadline. Nylander? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been shortly after the deadline. After the deadline. Okay. So let's say, give or take two games after the trade deadline, that was March 21st, right? Since then, he's only played less than 15 minutes one time. And that was their win against the Florida Panthers uh, on the back-to-back after Montreal. In that time, or I, I can't remember when, but in his last... I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that pause. I had to count in my head. In his last 11 games, from what I counted, he only went pointless once. And he's still in that range of 17, 18, even 19 minutes at that time while still getting 20 shifts per game. You got, you got something there. If you're able to have a major offensive threat in a third-line role where you can still play him 13 minutes, well, not 13, well, 
18, 19 minutes a game. Again, roll with it. Yeah. Roll with it. You saw what what he, what Kerfoot and Nylander did last year, and with the and the fact the biggest surprise for me for Engvall, and I know you touched up up on him before. He's finally learning to use his size to his advantage. That is the biggest thing for me. There were times where he would back off or he would be shy away. You know what? He's like, what, 6'5", 215 pounds? Use that to your advantage. And he's yeah. doing that. He's getting in the, not, not the lanes, but he's getting more physical. He's getting in there. He's, you know, using those long skating strides to separate him quickly and effectively. I, I, again, we were probably all hard on him before and how he wasn't as consistent in that regard. He, he's using that to his advantage and he's playing extremely well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that over this amount of time, Nylander's also really, really turned it on. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, I think maybe his offensive production slowed a little bit when they initially first put him alongside of, Eng, of Engvall, but I think in recent games, especially they found that chemistry and he's producing the same as if he's on the second line. So it's still getting the power play time. He scored a power play goal last night against Philadelphia. So he's still getting his looks Uh, uh, playing on the third line. is not a demotion. It's just exercising the options that you have and spreading out the depth that you have, which has worked for teams in the past. Like it worked for Pittsburgh that year. So who knows? It's an unorthodox, well, not unorthodox, but it's a different way of going about your lineup when you've got all this top end talent and, uh, who knows? Maybe it, if it works for them in the playoffs this year, maybe that, maybe that's something you stick with going into next season. Absolutely. Um, another guy to touch on real quick before we uh, move on to our last point here. Timothy Lilligren has just been tearing it up lately. And I think we talked about him in the past before, but he's he's got something like 22 points, I want to say, in 55 games. I don't know the exact number, but it's, it's 20-something and 50-something games. I know that. 22 and 57. 22 and okay, so I got one of them right. Yeah. 22 points in go. 57 <laughs> games. Um, totally different player alongside Mark Giordano. I feel like the majority of the points Lilligren's gotten this year have come since the trade deadline. And I don't know. I, I just I I I think that the Leafs are sort of at a point right now where they can't take him out of the lineup or they'll be hurting the defensive core. So, Peter, let me get your take on that. Where is Lilligan's role heading into the playoffs this year? Do you think that he's he, he's earned himself a full-time spot on the back end, or do you think he's still one of those guys in limbo who can be replaced? If we're doing the whole projection of the lineup right now, I would say you're either putting Brody or Labushkin on that top line with Riley. And then, you know, whoever the next partner is going to be with Jake Muzzin. And then it comes down to Justin Hall and Timothy Lilligren. I cannot fathom or understand the reasoning, what it's going to be if Justin Hall goes over Timothy Lilligren for the playoffs. Because Lilligren has been absolutely lights out. And I even retweeted the article, an article that I posted in like October or November, where we're starting to see glimpses of Lilligren being able to try and overthrow Justin Hall as that top four defenseman. I can't, again, the only reason why, okay, I'm going to say this. I, I would have traded Timothy Lilligren only for the right deal. You're just not going to trade him just because, oh, he's been spending four years in the AHL. He's not learning anything. He's a bust. And meanwhile, he was only 22 years old. He was drafted when he was technically 17, just turned 18, and he immediately made the jump over from you know playing in Sweden over to North America and played with the Marlies. He took his time, he developed, and now we're seeing that development pay off. We're seeing, we saw how well he played with Rasa Sandin as the right side. Obviously, Lilligren can't play on the left, so he has an advantage over Sandin in the playoffs. But the combination of him and Giordano, how he's able to play and execute everything properly with a really solid, you know, veteran type of player that kind of, I, I honestly think he plays the same style as Mark Giordano. Being able to engage offensively and jump into the rush, really great shot from the point being able to separate puck from player effectively has that bit of an edge. If he needs to, I honestly think that this is probably the best thing for him. I think honestly, I, 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 you can't justify playing Justin Hall over Timothy Lilligren. And as great as Justin Hall has looked at times lately, it's still not consistent enough as the way that Timothy Lilligren has he's earning. St- and again, like on average, maybe in between 15, 20 minutes a game, 20, at 21, 22, 23 plus shifts, 
per game. And, you know, he, he, he just looks more calm with Lilligren. I'm not saying that he wasn't, I mean, with Giordano. I'm not saying he wasn't calm with Sandine. But it looks like Giordano has may have like found some untapped potential that we didn't see before with him. Oh, he's never had a pair. He's never had a defensive partner like Giordano before. Yeah. A guy who plays a similar game style, who's been doing it for however many years. Exactly. And a guy who's, you know, he, he's uh, sure he's on the tail end of his career, but he's still looking amazing. I mm. honestly, Giordano has not looked like a 38 year old defenseman this year. He's looked, not, he's looked like no. the Mark Giordano we saw in like 20, 2017. Like no. he's, he, 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 he strikes me as a guy who gets better with age, kind of like age is yeah. like a fine wine. And absolutely, um, he's been doing so much for Lilligren this year. I, I couldn't agree more. I don't think that there is a single scenario where it would make sense to take Lilligren out of the lineup unless he really starts to falter or unless mm-hmm. there's an injury um, or not unless there's an injury. I guess it would, I, I meant unless there was an injury to, to Lilligren, but yeah, yeah I, I, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think he's done an amazing job. Um, alongside Giordano and I also love how there were Lee fans that were suggesting to trade him because he hasn't progressed fast enough and it's like man I and you know what on this top is why of that, we can't I think, have nice things yeah I think how quickly Rasmus Sandin made the NHL also sort of clouded their view of how defensemen yes. typically develop because Sandin was drafted in 2018 and what made his debut in 2019-20 so it's like it's like this, like that, that, that was way quicker than anybody could have imagined. I don't think anyone imagined that Sandine would go to the AHL and instantly tear it up the way that he did and instantly get a look um, the following season in his draft, uh, in his draft mm-hmm. uh, plus two season, especially for a defenseman like Sandine. So I think in that sense, fans visions of how defensemen are supposed to develop may have been a clouded a little bit because Sandine was drafted a year later and made his essentially became a regular in the lineup earlier. So I think that Leaf fans got to understand that you look at Lilligren, 22 years old. He spent four years in the AHL for the most part. And we're starting to see the rewards now. And even if Gio doesn't come back next year, I think what he's been doing for Lilligren right now, he's been doing enough to get him out of this role or sorry, get the, get the most out of him for this role and get him into a position where he can, where, where, where he can, play his game and feel comfortable doing it because he's got a guy that he can trust to cover for him. If he makes these mistakes. And like you said, a guy that just kind of plays a similar style to him, who's probably been there before. And I think that the way that he's sort of being treated this year, alongside Giordano, he's going to look ready for that role with or without Giordano next season. So Mm -hmm. I I think that, and the fact that he plays the right side, it's going to be really tough to take him out of the lineup come the playoffs. I wrote about how they're getting what they need from both Labushkin and Giordano. And there was a great clip on TSN where Giordano just had nothing but praise for Lilligren at how he did the little thing so well with the puck positioning, the poise that he displays for a rookie this season. How can you not, how can you not be motivated by that kind of, you know, motivation that you're getting from a Norris trophy winner? And even so right now, I'm looking at uh, natural statric for Lilligren and Giordano combined in 13 games, 139 minutes, really great, you know, shot attempts of 55.20 expected goals for percentage 62.27 high danger chances, 70.21, not, not just regular chances, high danger when they're on the ice and scoring chances, 61.29 all that percentage you if you're looking for a solid third pairing that can do some massive damage in the playoffs there you go Mm -hmm. and you know what you mentioned an article that you wrote peter so for our last topic of the show today i think we're going to throw to that so you wrote an article a couple days ago Mm -hmm. or maybe uh, last week on the leafs biggest keys to success for the playoffs and I want you to shed some light on what those keys are. Cause I think that's a horse that we've obviously beaten to death, just like every other Leafs podcast of what the Leafs need to do to succeed in the playoffs, but yeah, put it into words. Well, let's let, break down your piece a little bit. I mean, I, I, I would say, you know, the stars need to score, but that's the obvious one. I didn't want to put that in there, but I think I have in order, I, I don't want to say in most important to least important, but cause they're all important. I, I do think that, you know, obviously goaltending has got to be there. 
Um, you know, we're, we're starting to see Jack Campbell try and, you know, elevate his play. We're seeing that consistency right now where he's had two games, I believe, back-to-back with um, a 930 save percentage. That, that stat has been elusive for him for the past few months. So that's great that he's able to get back to form. And even in the game against both um, – or I, I, I am not, did he, he started the game against the Islanders, correct? Campbell? Campbell, yeah. Campbell, yes, he did. Yeah, okay, so in the games against the Islanders and the Flyers, two teams outside of the playoff picture, he needed to have strong goaltending, and he gave the least just that. Obviously, you're not going to get that from Morazic because he's injured. You don't know what his injury situation is going to be like. But if Campbell was injured and he wasn't wearing to go, it's going to be tough relying on Morazic. And as great as Shawgren has been, um, having that kind of 25-year-old inexperienced goaltender in North America come in and try and, you know, alleviate or stop the bleeding, that's going to be tough. They need Campbell to be at his best, and they're starting to see that right now. The defense and penalty kill is probably the next best thing. Obviously, we know how great the forwards are. The defense is a little bit better in terms of blocking players out, and especially the penalty kill. We know the speed, the ability to pressure the offense and just smother them, create turnovers, and then get an odd man rush and get a shot on net or even a goal. We know how great they've been. I think that's going to be really, really critical for them that they have that advantage over other teams where they have the most power or penalty or goal shorthanded. In the league, I think they're still tied with Florida, I believe. But the biggest one is just overcoming the past failures, the mental aspect of the game. That's going to be really critical for them. Um, we know what happened with Boston. So many years, 2013, even the last two, three seasons, we saw what happened against Columbus. We saw what happened against Montreal. They have a hard time elevating their play when they need it. I think this team, and we talked about it before, this team does have what it takes to try and get over that hump where they can use that to their advantage. They're starting to come together and find that motivation, find that spark that, you know, teams are successful. And if they're able to use those that stretch of games where they won three straight against the Lightning Panthers and Bruins and even some of the other better teams in the league this season, that that's as much motivation as you need for them to have success. I, I think that that's the biggest thing. If they're able to overcome that and keep that mindset, then you're looking at possibly a deep run. I think the big thing is that if they can, and again, biggest if in the world, if, if yeah. they can get over that first round hump, I don't think that they fold after one round. No, no. I think that there's been enough of a, there, there's been enough of a fire brewing inside of these guys or burning inside of these guys. I should say. I think that there's been they've they've taken enough heat from the media, enough heat from the fans, probably enough heat from each other. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I think that once they finally get the monkey off their back, they're going to go on a run. And how yeah. far they make it, I don't know, but this team certainly has the talent to do it. And it's all a matter of if they can overcome their their past demons, like Paul McLean said. Get rid of the demons under their bed. Get rid of the demons in the back of their head. Get rid of the demons in their car. Get rid of the demons everywhere. Just focus on the now and what they need to do day-to-day to win hockey games. And who knows, the sky's the limit for this team. And I, I, I think that's a good place to uh, to leave it. So I want to give a bold prediction, but I, I'm too afraid to say it this early. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll probably say it closer to the playoffs when they actually start if we're giving bold takes. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep that for myself for now. All right. Well... Tune into a mystery. Oh, geez. Excuse me. <laughs> Tune into and and no, that wasn't your take, Peter. Your take didn't put me to sleep. I'm just I'm just sleepy because I had. To well, get up I'm sorry. I'll morning. just stop talking then. <laughs> I had to get up at three thirty this morning. Don't take it personally. Nah, not at um, all, man. Anyways, um, yeah. Tune into a future episode of Six of the Six to hear what Peter's boiling hot take is. We don't know when that'll be, but it'll be sometime over the next couple of weeks. So stay yes. tuned for that. Um. Peter, before we wrap this thing up, what do the loyal listeners of Sticks in the Six and the followers of the Hockey Writers have to look forward to from you over the next little week? Um, you know, draft content still rolling out. I got um, another prospect out that just came out, Paul Ludwinski from the Kingston Frontenacs. Um, working on another one that I just picked up. Uh, you know, he, he he's one demon that I re- demon demon d man defenseman sorry wow <laughs> carry over from that um 
that Swedish defenseman, no, it's not Caliadelius, but I do like this defenseman after Caliadelius. So I'm going to be working on that. I'm not going to say his name. You'll find out soon. And also, I'm going to be talking about a secret slash not so secret weapon for the Maple Leafs in the playoffs. All right. Question marks all around. Well, like I kind of teased before, I am going to be doing a piece on um, sort of highlighting that 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 story from the overdrive appearance from Bob McKenzie yeah. and how the Leafs score responded to that. But I think the whole piece is more going to be about, and I'm going to, I feel like a fucking fool for writing this article again, but the, the whole focus of the piece is that they're displaying reason for cautious optimism with the way they've played lately. And so I'm going to touch on that. I'm going to touch on how their record in April has been a lot better this year than it has been in recent years or not, not, not necessarily April, but just the last month of the season has been a lot better than recent in recent years. Um, so yeah, I've got all that coming out. My profile on Jonathan Lakaramaki after however long of, of, of promising it was coming out. It finally did cut. Well, it hasn't, I don't know if it's out right now. Um, my man, Sartaj Bular is currently editing it. So it should be out. I'd say within the next 10, 15 minutes. So keep an eye out for that. It'll be obviously out by the time this, this pod's released. And uh, aside from that, yeah, the topics will just come day by day, depending on what we see from this team. So um, I guess now that we've reached the end of the episode, you can follow Peter on Twitter at P You can follow Andrew. I'm, I, I realized that I didn't give him a shout out last week. Yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't. You can follow <laughs> Andrew on Twitter at Andrew G Forbes. You can follow myself on Twitter at a Hobson media. Or you could follow the podcast at S-T-I-X-T-H-E-I-N-P. Fuck. God damn it. I can't do this. <laughs> you could follow the pod at S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. Sticks in the six pod. I I, I think before I did like <laughs> sticks the sticks the in pod Stick, six. Fuck. Just sticks the in pod. If, if you search sticks in the six with six spelt the Toronto way at uh, 6IX, you will find our pod on Twitter. So you can follow us on there for all your, all, all your uh, latest sticks in the six pod content. Um, for that and for Peter Barracchini, my name is Alex Hobson, your temporary co-host, and we will see you next week for episode 81 of Sticks in the Six. Mm-hmm.